I'm your host, Bradley Martin, and this is Clearing the Way, a resource for small business owners. Hello, humans. I am your host, Bradley Martin, and this is Clearing the Way, a resource for small business. I talk with sales and HR experts, other small business owners, and anyone else that can provide you uh, with information to clear your way to success. My guest today is Ryan Brown, owner of Riverpoint Realty. Uh, Ryan graduated from Robert Morris with a bachelor's in marketing. Uh, he spent over 15 years in the real estate agent, uh, industry. He started as an agent and loan officer before becoming a mortgage broker. Uh, he was a managing partner for a real estate investment company, CEO for a staging company, and owner of a property management brokerage. In 2016, Ryan started Riverpoint Realty, a full-service real estate brokerage that works with buyers, sellers, and investors. Uh, within 18 months, the team grew to over a dozen agents. Uh, Riverpoint focuses, they train all of their agents um, to be real estate consultants and offer a level of knowledge and attention to detail um, that can't really be found in other agencies in Pittsburgh. Ryan, thank you mm-hmm. for being a guest. Thanks for coming on, uh, clearing the way. Thank you for having me, Bradley. Appreciate yeah, for it. sure. Okay. So let's, uh, let's work through, um, we will get to Riverpoint, we'll get to all of those things, but let's start way back. Um, where did you grow up? Um, yeah, let's start there. where did you grow up? What kind of student were you? Um, yeah, walk me through how we got to, sure. how we got so to we're going to start point. from the very beginning. Start from the beginning. Awesome. So I grew up in a small little river town called Elizabeth. Uh, so Elizabeth was not a... You know, fabulous place to grow up, but it, but it was home. So I grew up there, uh, went to uh, Elizabeth Ford High School. Okay. You know, through there. Um, and, you know, my experiences through there kind of helped shape to get into where I was in school and so forth. Okay. So all through school, I was not one for academics. Uh, I never studied. Uh, I really rarely paid attention in class. I was always the kind of type of person that like I could just cram a night before or like mm-hmm. just a very good test taker. Yeah. And um, a lot of, you know, my parents' goal is just for me to get into college and high school, like just get a 3.0. And so I didn't really have like high expectations. So I was more so just kind of doing what I wanted to do, having fun. I'm a very big sports enthusiast. I okay. played all the sports. Okay. What, what did you play? Uh, I tried everything. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, um, five seven in in high school I was probably like one twenty five. <laughs> okay. And so uh, you know, football didn't work out well. Nor did like basketball or baseball or a lot of the traditional sports. Okay. So um, I'm a disgustingly competitive person. I love winning and I love competing. So uh, during my freshman year, I was trying to basketball is like the last sport I could do. And I was trying to do uh-huh. that with my athletic limitations. So I went out to run cross country in the fall because I didn't have the size to play football. So okay. uh, cross country is just like long distance running in the woods. Yeah. Like, why would someone do that? Yeah. It was, yeah. Yeah. So what I learned right away is that's more mental than physical, you know, for what you're doing yeah. long distance running. Yeah. And so I did that. I did fairly well. Um, and then I played basketball on the freshman team in ninth grade. Then I did track and, you know, cause I wasn't playing baseball. So I did very good my freshman year for that. And so my sophomore year, I did the same thing and I did even better. And I, if I'm going to do it, I want to win. Yeah. And so my sophomore year, I didn't make the varsity team and wasn't even starting on junior varsity. So I'm like, why am I going to keep doing that? So I switched to indoor track. 
Okay. I didn't even know they really had it. So I switched oh. to an indoor track program. And so I was doing cross country, indoor track and outdoor track. And again, long distance running, usually you're running like in cross country. It's about a three mile race up and down hills through woods and things. In track, I'll do like a one and two mile race. And what I realized was it didn't take athletic ability. All it took was like effort. So sometimes I train before school, after school, and I, I I'm a very mentally strong person. So I just wanted to win more than the next guy. So when so okay, so when did you when did you notice how like how that you had that that ability that like mentally strong thing? When how early did you notice that? Uh, in general or via athletics, I would say, but in general, probably younger days, Okay, I was always, I don't want to use the word conniving, but I was always finding ways to get ahead, finding ways to win. Uh-huh. Um, growing up in the eighties, I played a lot of board games. So I love playing chess. I love playing Monopoly, games like that. Okay. So basically the better you understand the rules of the game, you better understand how to exploit the game and how to win. Yeah. So um, to give you an example, when I was playing Monopoly, so a lot of times someone has that third Monopoly piece and you're trying to, to trade him this piece for this to make it work. Mm-hmm. And so what I would learn to do is like, all right, well, I believe every deal in life has to be mutually beneficial. For everything. Mm-hmm. It can't be one-sided. So, all right, you give me this to complete my monopoly. I might not have something great to give back to you, but I'll give you 40% of my revenue and immunity the next two times you land on it for the next X amount of roll. So I would I would basically sell shares of this. So I'd okay. end up with shares <laughs> okay. of all these different pieces here. It's, that, that's how I was even through like junior, it's called junior high there, not uh-huh. middle school when I was yeah. there. So uh, that's a little back, you know, okay. figure out the game, figure out how to win the game. Okay. So, um, I kind of really dove in, I have an addictive personality, so I dove into track and running and, uh, it's not a very glorious sport, but like I wanted to win because I was doing it. So I competed, I did very, very well. And so then I went on to run in college. So, um, the, one of the probably errors is that instead of trying to get into the best school academically for me, I really didn't push myself academically. Like, I think I only took the SATs once. I really didn't try. Yeah. Uh, I'm very quantitative. I scored very well on the math side, but I did not really try to study or do anything. I really didn't push my academics. Were there were there um, subjects that you were interested in or was it just like in in high school? Did you have anything in particular that interested you or was it just? Not really. Okay. Um, I was trying to have fun, trying to compete, have fun with my friends, play sports. Okay. Like I'd still, even though I wasn't playing through a high school team, I was still playing pickup basketball or competitive things like that. And so um, I was just your typical teenagers trying to have fun, Mm -hmm. not worrying about any big things. I was always the type of person, I'll figure it out. I'll make it happen. Yeah. And um, so... Uh, like I was through school, I was always in like the gifted and talented programs. Mm-hmm. And so I'd play chess against a lot of the guys, things like that. Some people that went to more prestigious schools, yeah. they got like 4.3s and like I would get a 3.1 cause that's all I had to get. Yeah. And so they went to more accomplished schools, better degrees. So my friends, things like that, that wasn't my path. Um, I, one air was like, I was only going to go to schools that recruit me for track because for some reason I was, you know. Do you, do you think that there was anything that you, that could have been done that would have gotten you interested in school then? Was it mature enough? Yeah, that's, I feel like I have similar, like, I didn't really put in a ton of effort. It was just, you show up and like, I knew that I wanted to get whatever it was like, stay above a 3.5. It's like, and I knew what needed to be done. Other than that, it's like, eh. 
eh, it's whatever, you know, like I, I don't know if there's anything that I, I don't know if there's anything that could have been done that would have changed that then. Yeah. Um, okay. But well, it, the, the funny thing is now I, I preach to a lot of my employees and salespeople, perpetual learning. Mm-hmm. I constantly want to learn and better myself, learn about everything, which is a polar opposite from, you know, when I was in school. Well, is it everything or things that are actually relevant to you now? Almost everything. Okay. So okay. Um, if I'm going to be involved in something, I want to understand it inside and out. Like I hate not understanding something that I'm a part of. Okay. So, yeah. um, you know, for, for example, recently uh, over the winter, I got diagnosed with thyroid cancer. And so um, I didn't even know where the thyroid did. And so now I research everything about a thyroid. You know, what happens if you lose it? What this, what this? Uh-huh. And so I was even researching all the probability, survival rates, effects, all this stuff. You know, and so, yes, I became curious in it because it became, yeah. you know, a big deal. But, like, I will dive in and research for anything. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, I guess, yes, you have to have that driver. Mm-hmm. So I'm not just going to randomly learn about, like, pottery yeah. just for the hell of it. Yeah. So, but over the last uh, six months, I've been learning a lot about podcasts and uh, understanding there. So, but in general, I would say, yeah, you ha- curiosity drives learning. Yeah. So if you're a curious person and you want to understand things, um, I think that drives your learning. Yeah. Um, okay. So, so school, um, you're just looking at schools to, um, for track. Yeah, so I awesome. went around mediocre schools and going to Robert Morris. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was cool because I was, you know, I could still hang out with some of my old high school friends. Uh-huh. I could still drive home to get, you know, uh, fed and do my laundry, yeah. things like that. And um, but in hindsight, I probably should have broadened my horizons and gone away to school or gone to a better academic school. In hindsight, but um, at the end of the day, I I don't believe that you could have any regrets. You can't control what you already did. All you can control is what's moving forward. What do you, why do you think that that would have been a better choice for you? To, Historically, probability-wise. Okay. What is the success rate of someone who goes to Robert Morris versus someone that goes to an Ivy League school? What's the success rate of someone that does X versus Y? Probability-wise. Now, there's always outliers. Mm-hmm. If that makes, There's outliers yeah. in everything. Yeah. But if you look at historical success rates or average incomes or whatever from different choices through school, there's clear data on that. Yeah. Okay. Um. Okay. Do you do you think you could have gotten into those schools though with the effort that you had put in? Absolutely not. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely okay. not. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely not. And so, but uh, if I had focused on that, you know, what I mean, yeah. through that. Yeah. So. Okay. But um, so the funny thing is, so Robert Morris, I get there, and there's only one Division One for track and cross country, and so I'm competing against like Penn State, West Virginia, all these schools, like you know and so all of a sudden there's these people from all over there's international people i'm competing against ethiopians and kenyans running you know like you see on tv winning all the marathons Mm -hmm. with strides as big as my whole body and i'm like (laughs) in order to compete with these people this is like another level Uh and i realized that like my athletic limitations at that level it's not just being more mentally tough it's a lot more than that yeah yeah and being an 18 19 year old in college do you want to forego all the enjoyments of college to be able to compete a little bit about something? <laughs> and one thing I realized is that there's a finite amount of time you're going to compete and run. It's not like you're going to run outside of school yeah. or continue doing it. So I I realized right away that I didn't want to like forego the enjoyable college years. <laughs> and so um, I competed for my first year. Then I quit my second year. 
Okay. okay. And I progressed to thoroughly enjoy my college years and promptly lost my academic scholarship right after that. Okay. Which, okay. Th- which okay. then pushed me into being entrepreneurial and starting to have to earn money and pay for my own school yeah. and figure, figure things out. What did you, what did you go there? Well, you went, you ended up with marketing. Is that what you planned on doing or no. like, okay. Um, I was a big sports fan and uh, there was a movie I was very fond of and I love negotiating things. So um, I was watching uh movie, Jerry Maguire, it's mm-hmm. a popular movie, a sports agent. And I love just negotiating. The, so I wanted to negotiate professional sports contracts. Okay. And so, uh, and I used to enjoy reading back then John Grissom who was uh, an attorney, wrote a bunch of legal books. Uh-huh. I didn't want to be that kind of boring attorney. I wanted to be a sports agent who needed law school. Yeah. So I started as a sports management major. Okay. So Robert Morris actually had a good sports management program. What I learned is a fraction of 1% of people actually work in professional sports. So I knew right away that wasn't for me. And I knew right away I didn't want to be some team manager or whatever person working for a sports team. Uh-huh. I wanted to be like the GM or the, the agent or yeah. somebody worthwhile. I was always ambitious. I just sometimes then didn't put in the effort. Do you, okay, so obviously the numbers are always important to you. Do you think that sometimes, okay, the two sides of this. One, obviously you've said it several times, you're super competitive and there, there's this like ability, to, not ability, but you know you're just going to figure things out. It's in some way. You're going to figure it out. Do you think sometimes the numbers like, could you have made it in that field as as one of these 0.01% or whatever? Yes, I could also have won the lottery. But like the probabilities. Okay. It, so could you have done something? Yes. But understanding like the likelihood or the range of outcomes, like okay. it, it's so highly unlikely. Okay. Why would you change, go your college career, do something on a fraction of a fraction of a 1% chance? That doesn't make, you know, statistical sense. Okay. Yeah, I, yes. So if I told you, you're going to risk your career on a lottery ticket, and if that lottery ticket doesn't hit, you're going to have to... Well, but the difference there to me is that you have some say, like in that, the weird thing about, at least from my perspective, I'm not super, um, I'm definitely not as um, stats oriented. I, I help, I use them to help guide some decisions, but like, to me, lottery, I have no say in. It's your, random luck. Correct. Where the career path, there is a, I have a lot of input here. So I'm, I'm just, I don't know. So even I, if your input is better than say 90% of the other people, mm-hmm. you might go from, you know, 0.005 to 0.05. Yeah. It's still yeah. improbable, yeah. even if with your influence. Okay. Um, that's fair. I just didn't know if, if, if that at any point you think that you didn't do things that you may have been able to be successful in because of those numbers. Um, I, I don't know. I, I probably I, didn't I, have enough overall life experience to make the best choices at that time. Okay. That's to, to some degree uh, yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, so, but anyway, that's kind of, okay. That, that's where I got And Academics really weren't for me at that time. Yeah, yeah. And I really didn't like school. I was just doing it just to graduate. Yeah. Okay. So when did you, when you switched to, uh, from sports management, did you go directly to marketing? 
I or, believe I did. Yes. I mean, that was a while ago. And I think I remember I was talking to someone. He's like, oh, I go into marketing. It's a broad field. And I'm like, fine, whatever. Okay. I'm just going to graduate. Okay. Just get it just, to graduate. Back then it was like, just get a degree. Yeah. The funny thing is now I advise a lot of people I talk to, don't go to school for some BS degree, a liberal arts degree or general degree. If you're going to go to college and take $100,000 of debt, get something that's meaningful, whether it's like engineering, law, medicine, mm-hmm. things like that, they're impactful. Yeah. I think too many people go to school without like a real focus of what you're learning. Yeah, I know that's what I, when I started, uh, like when I went to school, that is, I had no idea what I was going to do. So I ended up bouncing around. And then finally it was like, I'm not, whatever I'm going to do, I don't need these. I don't need the degree for. Like I'm doing the either marketing or um, some of these other things that I was just wasting money on at that point. So rather than continuing to bounce around, like there are definitely reasons to get a degree. For sure, um, but like you said, like for those for those specialized to me, it feels like the specialized things are the things you actually need it for at this point. Um, and there are kind of ways around it in some of the other fields, but um, that's not always the case. Like there are definitely some things you got, you got to go to school for. Um, yeah, like you're not all of a sudden going to become a mechanical engineer. No, yeah, without that technical knowledge. No, no not going to happen. That's not yes. in the cards for me now. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be a doctor. Like it's just not going to, not going to, not in my cards. Um, okay. So you switch to marketing so you can graduate. Awesome. Um, what did you, at that point, what did you want to do when you left? Like. No idea. Okay. So we're really going through the whole timeline. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Why not? Okay. Yeah. So, um. At that time, my parents got divorced. My mom moved to Atlanta. I moved down to Atlanta for, I think, about a year. Okay. Um, and I didn't really like it. It was warmer. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, Atlanta was – no one in Atlanta is actually from Atlanta. It's all transplants. And um, okay. unlike Pittsburgh, it's – Pittsburgh is a very small, big city. Mm-hmm. Um, the longer I've been here, people from Pittsburgh are generally much nicer than other major cities. And in Pittsburgh, like almost every, you're like one degree of separation from anyone. Mm-hmm. If you're anyone like Pittsburgh, yeah. everyone knows yeah. each other. Yeah. So, um, the, I think probably it was easier to ascend in business in Pittsburgh than it was there, but I was there for a year and I came back to Pittsburgh. Okay. Um, and then from there, I actually, um, I had a guy that I knew was doing residential mortgages. Okay. okay. Um, and so, well, Prior to that, I took a job at uh, a bank where I worked as someone that opened up your checking account, did very basic things like that. Uh-huh. I think that lasted about two months. Okay, okay. I think my longest W-2 <laughs> job ever was about three months. Okay, okay. Well, W-2 mean like being an employee. Yeah, yeah. So I am not cut out to be an employee. Yeah. And so one thing I always knew in my life, no one is ever going to tell me what to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. You know what I mean? How early did you know? How how early did you know that? From, from when I was younger, I always knew that. <laughs> okay, and, okay, um, okay. I always knew that, and um, so my mom, you, she shows me this and gets a kick out of it to the day. There used to be like this cartoon over like, "What do you want to be when you grow up?" And this kid would say like, "Oh, I want to be a millionaire." And I always say, "Yeah, I want to be like, yeah, I want to be." And she's like, "What are you going to do?" I'm like, "I don't know. I just want you know, what I mean, yeah, you just yeah. want to be successful, yeah, and have the things that go along with that, yeah, more so freedom." So I, I tangent a lot, so sorry. But like That's, one of the biggest things is a lot of people work for money. I think you work for the things that money can provide. So I think freedom and happiness are the two main drivers. You know, I want freedom mm-hmm. and I want to be happy. You know, money makes those things easier. 
Yeah, well, and I think for both of those, well, the freedom is, a well, I, actually both of them. It's knowing what those actually mean to you. Like freedom mm-hmm. to me might be something different than you and so might happiness. So like knowing what those things are for you, that's going to, you know, my, I, that I actually, the podcast that releases tomorrow as of the day that we're recording this is kind of along those lines of like understanding what those, um, what those things actually mean to you so that you can determine how you're going to get there. Like that is super important because these I, broad things of happiness and I freedom. I could get into that. And, and part of that is, is a lot of it. Is, I'll get into is self-awareness. Uh-huh. The more self-aware you understand you are, the better, well, yeah, you could do your own personal SWOT analysis on what you're good at, everything like that. But the more you understand yourself, the more, you know, all right, I can do this. I can do this. Mm-hmm. I can do this. What really makes me happy. And so like, I'm the rare person. I get excited waking up in the morning. I can't wait for the day to start, you know? So like this morning I walk into my office, I'm talking to this person, that person, uh-huh. and I'm just like beaming, smiling. I go through and I smile, everyone else smiles. You're yeah. talking about that. And, and I love, like, I love what I do uh-huh. and I love interacting with people and just, I love business in general. Yeah. So I'm an excitable person. So, uh, excuse my excitableness is I probably speak way too fast. Yeah. That's been my critique on okay. my own podcast. <laughs> okay. I, okay. But, um, so, um, circling back here mm-hmm. off my tangent and I'll get into the freedom and happiness yeah. later. Um, okay. So you knew you wanted, you knew you wanted the freedom. You knew you wanted to have that early, early yeah. on. That, that I, was I couldn't handle a job for more than two or three months. Yeah. So I did some other entrepreneurial things, uh, involving math to help get by. Uh-huh. And, um, from there, uh, I met a gentleman who, uh, owned his own mortgage company, worked for himself. He was, this is a uh, pre-mortgage crisis. So like around maybe a four or five, give or take something like that. Okay. And, um, he said, you know what, just come work for me from 12 noon to five every day selling mortgages. He's like, you're too smart not to do something else. And so I'm like, all right, so I could just do what I want all night, you know, sleep in until 11, come sell some mortgages. <laughs> this is easy, right? <laughs> okay. So I got into that. I understood. I learned the mortgage business, understood uh-huh. it. I'm like, this is easy to make commissions. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, so this is how I got into real estate. So I was selling mortgages as a mom and pop mortgage shop, and I'd be sitting at a desk. So we would advertise on the main street of this little town in Bellevue. Mm-hmm. And so people would come in to get pre-approved to buy a house. Back then, the median house in the area is like 90000 wasn't very much. So I would get them pre-approved, run credit, do all that, that the income ratio, refer them to some local realtors to sell them a house. Uh-huh. Well, what happened was not all those buyers came back to me to do the mortgage. So I started following up. Hey, John, the realtor, I referred you Susie Smith to buy a house. I pre-approved them. I found out they bought a house. What happened? Oh, well, you know what? We have an in-house lender, an in-house title, an in-house insurance company that we gave them discounts and all this. They decided Mm. to go there. So how does that make you feel as a business person? You're referring this person Mm -hmm. who works on 100% commission to sell people houses. So what did I do? Got my real estate license. Pre-approved them, get in my car, I'll sell you the house, make money all the way around, <laughs> uh-huh. and I'll give them better service. You can't do that now. You could back then. Okay. That was 15, 20 years ago. Okay. So I did both. And what I found out was uh, selling real estate was even easier than mortgages. <laughs> okay. There was a lot of people doing very, very well financially selling real estate that I found that were not very sharp or advanced people. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. So you've got, okay. So when you get into, when you get into this, you realize it's easy for you. Um, you're picking everything up pretty, pretty quickly. Um, 
how long did it take you to realize this? Like now you're going to be the real estate agent also. How how long? Like was that so, a couple months? Was that a year or two? Like more in the months. Okay. So what I realized is that I can make more money as a real estate agent than I could selling mortgages. Okay. And I could do both in the short term. Uh huh. And um, I realized that like once you kind of figure out the game you know, mm-hmm. and how to get around it and see what the other people who were doing were, I figured out how to really market. Um, so back then, uh, there were, Craigslist was like, you'd have 10, 20 postings of Craigslist. It was just starting. So what I would do is I'd call these <laughs> realtors with really nice properties. Uh-huh. And I, I developed a niche in selling investment multifamily property because I was really quantitative, good at being able to analyze those. And a lot of people weren't. Yeah. Most realtors don't understand investment properties. Now, a little more so than back then. Okay. So I'd find a really nice house or really nice properties, and I'd post them on Craigslist. i get the permission. Hey, can I sell your property for you? Can I advertise it? Sure. Why not, Ryan? <laughs> so I would do that. Then I would get all these buyers, then I'd take them there and sell the property. You know? Okay. So I started selling more and more properties that way. And then I got good at it where I'm like, well, I'm really good at this, but it takes time. Yeah. Okay. So I think the big misnomer when people work is you exchange time for money. Okay. The people who really get ahead in life, you know, they make money, passive residual income. Mm -hmm. The old guys, when I was younger, used to tell me, you got to make money while you sleep. Yeah. That's the old guy phrase. The, the young guys now say passive residual income. Uh-huh. So by my mid-20s, I learned that like you can only make a finite amount of money if you're exchanging time for money. Yeah. Even if you're an attorney selling yourself at $350 an hour, you're only making money when you're actually working. Yeah. So I realized that I could make a lot of money in mortgage and real estate. And But you know what? If I taught this person, this person, this person how to do it, I can make a little bit off those people. And also I get the benefit of making them, teaching them how to make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And in selling these investment properties, I saw people who were making a lot of money in real estate. And so I'm like, well, I can do that too. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, and and that's when, at that point, so you were, when you're working, when you come on to work, um, work for the guy originally in, in this, in the, in this real estate business, um, you're not you're an employee at that point or contractor. Ten ninety nine like, contractor. Okay, so, so independent um, contractor, yeah. semi employee. Yeah. Um, at what? How? How soon did you or or how long did it take to to determine that you were going to break off and do your own? So the first guy I worked for in the mortgage company, uh-huh. I didn't work for him with my real estate license. I worked for a different company. Okay. But that guy, I think I was there maybe a year and a half, two years. Okay. Then I grew past that. Then I worked for an actual really good mortgage company where I really were in the mortgage business inside and out. Okay. And I worked for another real estate brokerage. Mm-hmm. And then I switched to a brokerage that did both. And I could do both at the same time. Okay. And that brokerage also did a lot of property management where I were in the property management industry as well. Okay. Um, but I kept on finding new – that is probably when my thirst for knowledge started in mid-20s. Uh-huh. That's funny. A few years after school, uh-huh. I realized the more you know, the more successful you can be, the easier, more efficient you can be. Yeah. The easier life got. Yeah. Well, it. I mean, it's after school, but it's, it's also the, like, things actually start to matter at that point. Like, you're actually seeing how that increase of knowledge, like you said, like, that increase in knowledge is – there's a – direct relationship. I'm learning more. I'm making more or have the ability to make more now. Like in school, there still aren't, there's like no consequences for not learning. 
Like you get bad <laughs> grades, but it's like, okay. Well, I, I tell a lot of the uh, younger professionals in real estate, work to learn mm-hmm. your first year or two. It's more important what you learn yeah. than whether you made ten, twenty, or $30,000 your first year. Yeah. It's more important what learning for what you're going to make. Yeah. And so I emphasize that, and I didn't know it back then. And so um, I didn't really have great mentors in my 20s. I kind of learned a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit there. Yeah. I learned a lot via trial and error. And there wasn't like, you know, Google and everything back then just uh-huh. to like, you know, you can go on and like learn all the stuff like you can now. Yeah. So, um, but I saw people making a lot of, that's when I got into investment real estate. And so I started learning how rental properties make you passive income and build, build equity, build wealth. Mm-hmm. And I started uh, learning how to flip properties. And so I helped other clients flip and do rentals. Okay. Then I saw the money they made, figured out the math in it. And then I start doing it for myself. <laughs> okay, so when you start when you you start breaking off and doing all of these things on your own, um, so you've done a lot of the legwork by learning from underneath people, which is, I mean, I guess now you can kind of bypass some of that um, because you've got Google, you've got all those things to learn, um, you've got ChatGPT, you've got all these things to learn from, um, but. You, you learn from all of these different businesses, all of these different people that you're working with. Um, when you break off and start working on your own, were there any, any things on the business side from running the thing that came up that were like, oh, shit, I was not prepared for this? Um, Definitely. Okay. Yeah. I think uh, making mistakes, that's how you learn. You mm-hmm. learn more. If someone just tells you, hey, Ryan, just do this so you don't make this mistake. Yeah. Do you really learn it as much as if you made that mistake, screwed it up? And like when I first started, I remember my worst flip, I'll say I lost $59,000 on my worst flip. Okay. That's a great lesson. You don't want to <laughs> yeah. lose that again. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that was a few years into it after I had, you know, was doing 10, 20 a year with partnerships yeah. and things like that. So um, losing money teaches you a lesson. Mm-hmm. But I never really like, I'll say like, yes, I like money, but I didn't ever work for money. I was never counting it. Mm-hmm. I was just, I love the business. I love the hustle and I love the energy. Okay. So um, I started learning how to like flip properties to make capital. Uh-huh. And I, I want to get that capital to invest to buy rentals. Okay. Yeah. And then, so I was flipping houses. I was buying rentals. I was managing my rentals, leasing them, doing all that. I was managing contractors, like doing flipping, helping mm-hmm. find those deals. I was selling real estate, teaching other people to sell real estate, doing real estate team. You know, as well, and still doing mortgages for a little bit. But then when the mortgage crisis hit, I stopped residential and I was still brokering commercial lending. And well, at that, like, okay, so you've got all these different things that you're managing at that point. Did you have any issues managing people? Like going from kind of a lot of the one-on-one sales to now, now you're like, you're dealing with all of these different either organizations or pe- like all of these different groups. Did you... Was that a struggle for you at all? It's sales. I'd say management is sales to a certain point. And so okay. um, basically when you're managing someone, you have to understand what's their goals. How are they motivated? You know, are some people motivated by job security or some people motivated by culture at your job or some people motivated by upward mobility? Understanding hmm. like if I'm talking to different contractors and I need to motivate them to get this job done, are they motivated by that last draw and that money or that bonus? Are they motivated by me praising them for how great of a job they did? Understanding how the individuals are motivated, you're better able to sell them on what you want to do. 
Now that, that's probably the wrong word. But well, the more yeah, you, under, yeah, yeah. The yeah, more you understand saying. that person and you think about it through their lens, what's their goals, what do they want to do, and you have a mutually beneficial relationship, mm -hmm. you, can be, you can help manage them more. Okay, that is a – I have not heard like managing people um, – like referenced or or like talked about in that way but that i mean i guess when you just saying it's sales is like no. maybe sounds but yeah. but the way that you just described it like it makes like that makes complete sense like it's that is absolutely correct it's just under it's that understanding people and if you come from a sales background or if that's the way you think like it is kind of that like you know, know your it audience is that. Yeah. so in sales know your audience yeah. what are their motivations you know, what are yeah. their fears? What do they really want? The more you understand your audience, the better, like the best salespeople, when you're first selling someone, you're doing more listening. Like I like to teach a lot of our realtors. You need to listen more and more and more. Uh -huh. The more you listen, the better you understand what they want and how you can actually sell them. Mm -hmm. If all you want to do is tell them how great you are, I'm good at this, I do this, I do this. How much are you learning how to sell that client? You're not. Yeah. That is a, that's interesting. Yeah, I've not, that's, that's a, that doesn't um, like resonate as much with me, but I know that there's somebody that's like that hasn't really understand the, stood the management side that like that clicks with for sure because I mean it makes sense yeah like you have that, to know you have to know which of your team yeah. members are an employee that want a job mm -hmm. which ones want a career which ones want the long haul which mm -hmm. ones are the ones you're going to mentor to be your business partners long term yeah who. And you're going to manage those people differently. You can't manage everyone the same. Mm -hmm. That's just a misnomer. If you try to pigeonhole everyone in the same management, you're going to have more turnover. You're going to mm -hmm. be less effective. Okay. So um, was that something that was natural? Like you you picked up pretty naturally? Or, Through trial or? and error to a point. Okay. Okay. But in general, yes. And okay. so by that point, probably like mid-late 20s when I was doing all that, I started networking with a lot more sec very successful people through real estate, other, other things. Okay. And so when I first wanted to start doing a lot of real estate investing, I didn't have hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars to do it. So what I did was I showed, here's my business plan. Here's how I'm going to make money. Give me some money. Mm -hmm. I'll invest it and make these returns. So essentially I started investing in my twenties using other people's money. Okay. That that's the big misnomer is that you have to have your own money to do real estate investing. No. And what I know now is one of the easiest parts of real estate investing is getting capital. Capital is everywhere. You can get capital very easily if you have a plan and you have the knowledge to execute it. Okay. And you were getting connected with these people through, I mean, you're already in the business. So, yeah, just so like networking is huge. Yeah. So like when I was still hustling in real estate, so what mm -hmm. I would do is I would go to and I wanted to buy property. So I'd go to all the estate attorneys, divorce attorneys, bankruptcy attorneys, walk in there, talk to them. They would know me, have a drink with them. Uh -huh. Guess what happens when they have a client that needs to sell their property? Oh, I know a great realtor. Uh -huh. Sometimes I'd buy it. Sometimes I'd just sell it for them. So I really learned right away to network. So the communities I was in, I became a local expert. So I started knowing who the code officer is, who the council member is, who the mayor is, who's the people who know everyone, uh -huh. who's the movers and shakers in those neighborhoods. And I just networked everyone. I didn't fully realize the potential of that yet. But even a decades later, I would so get leads were, from those people. You were doing that just to, to get to the get leads, just to try okay. to make a $2,000 commission. Uh huh. Because I'm like, I need to get leads. Who, who has leads for real estate of people that are selling distressed real estate, bankruptcy, uh -huh. divorce, you know what I mean? Yeah. Estates. You know, I would talk to bankers. Do you have any bad properties? You know, things like that. Okay. Okay. So, um, yeah, it seems like 
there's a lot of those things that you um like I don't want to say you're not stumbling like your intuition on some of those is like like pretty soft like you gain a lot from those things you did them for a reason but the the payoff for those was like oh you I didn't I didn't understand that it was going to be this later down the road but that's kind of with a lot of the um a lot of the networking thing is like you just got to know people you yeah. got to know the people and as as many and and like be kind of tactical with it like who are the people they that are be genuine yeah a lot of people do very fake networking you, nobody likes that yes oh, <laughs> nobody I likes mean, that but sometimes it's very transparent when I've sometimes people try to network or chat with me and I can tell they're just trying to like, you know, so um, like there are ways, even if you want to be salesy to be, to appear very genuine, but it's easier to actually be genuine. Yeah. Hey, I actually care what this seven year old divorce attorney has to say and wants to do everything else. Ask him about some things. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe you find a commonality that you can discuss uh-huh. and you build that connection. So uh, I'm an avid golfer. One thing I learned actually from uh, like when I go when I travel, I like to golf nicer courses. Uh-huh. So one of the nicer courses courses they have caddies that carry your bag, and they're p- carrying it for tourists all over, and they're working for tips. So they want to connect with you. Uh-huh. So this one caddy says, on the first two or three holes, I'm trying to find that bond. Oh, you're from Pittsburgh. Are you a Steelers fan? Oh, I love football too. Or are you a hockey fan? Oh, how about that Sidney Crosby? Or you like the, they're uh-huh. trying to find that link mm-hmm. to have a conversation with for the next three hours while you're on a golf course <laughs> yeah. together. Yeah. Which is a phenomenal sales approach for a golf caddy. Huh. Okay. Okay. All right. So um, we covered the management. Were there any other, um, I kind of dove into the management thing, but um, early on, were there any other of those um, yeah, obviously, like losing money is going to be a great teacher. Um, but was there was there anything in particular that came up that was unexpected or um, I guess I'll, I'll say unexpected for now. Um, obviously, we'll get to the the like you having to adapt through the um, through 2008, whatever. But well, that um, was an external factor that was definitely <laughs> a changer for me. OK. Um, and so for a lot of people. You know, something like that happens. Real estate values went down mm-hmm. nationally more so than Pittsburgh. And real lenders tightened up, weren't giving out loans. So a lot of real estate agents, oh, people aren't buying anymore. I'm not selling anymore. Their stats are down. They just want to bitch and complain about it. Uh-huh. So what I learned to do then is I learned to sell foreclosures. I learned to buy distressed properties. I learned to sell multi-units. You just got to pivot. Uh-huh. Instead of just complaining, I hate negative people. So figure out a solution, adapt, overcome. Uh-huh. And so I pivoted during the mortgage crisis. And then for what I did back then, real estate investing was not cool. Okay. So nowadays, oh, it's cool to post your flip online, social uh-huh. media, all this shit, you know. Uh-huh. And but back then, uh, no one liked being a landlord was dirty. They thought you're a landlord. Ah, oh, you're, you know what I mean? Yeah. They had a negative connotation to it. Uh-huh. So the competition for investing in real estate back then was like Neil. And huh. it wasn't sexy. It wasn't cool. All the financial and gurus were out there pitching like, you know, make a million dollars selling real estate. Yeah. So I was able to get a big market share, get great margins before everyone else knew about it. Mm. Okay. Um, and and that happened because you were able to – What you looked at the situation and said, that's not working right now. We got to – here. here is a white space. Here is a space that – there is opportunity. You saw opportunity. Yeah. So um, it was, I had enough experience to recognize the opportunity and capitalize on it. 
So um, there are one thing I read that was I, I think is very relevant and I've taught is there are four types of luck. Okay, excuse okay. me, I go on another tangent here, okay. Brad. No, this is good. This and is good. So, Let's go. There's four types of luck. Okay. So one is um, just pure dumb luck. Okay, we can't pure dumb luck is can you and I control that we were born in, you know, Western Pennsylvania, we could be born in the middle of Siberia, mm -hmm. or we could have been born, you know, who knows where it some third world country or worse. Yeah. Okay, we could have been born uh, part of the royal family in England. We could have been born and Fred Trump could have given us a million dollars when we turned 18. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So we could like, you can't control that. Yeah. Okay. That there's dumb luck that people just run into things and do things. Yeah. Okay. The second luck is the three other, three other types of luck you can actually control. The second type of luck, luck in motion. Okay. So the more people you're meeting and talking to, you're creating opportunities to get lucky. So if you work your nine to five job and, you know, go home at the end of every day, don't socialize, don't network, don't connect with anyone and just play video games or watch TV. Are you, how often are you going to, you need to create luck. You a lot of times hear people is, oh, the harder I work, the luckier I get. Cliches like that. Mm -hmm. You luck in motion. The more people I'm networking and talking to, I have more opportunities for people to send me deals, more opportunities to find deals, more opportunities just to grow. So then the, the third part is uh, basically luck by uh, being able to recognize and spot opportunities, which I was referencing. Uh -huh. So, um, you know, seeing the mortgage crisis happen, seeing shifts in the realtor market, seeing shifts in the real estate market, the rental markets, seeing those things and having the knowledge to take advantage of them. So a lot of people might see something happening, but not know how to take advantage of it. Uh -huh. A lot of people might see things that change because of COVID, but don't know how to capitalize or don't know what to do to capitalize. So having the, the knowledge to capitalize on external factors, some people would say, oh, you're, you know, that was really lucky you did that. Well, that was opportunistic and foresight. Mm -hmm. um, and then the last is, uh, I is luck by, I believe it's called like luck by experience because you're really good at something or a trade expert, people bring things to you. So now people bring me deals and opportunities all the time. People come to me, hey, Ryan, I have this. Can you partner with me on this? Ryan, can you help me on this? Can you partner on this? Can you fund this? Can you do that? Because you have established almost a brand and a name mm -hmm. and that level, level of expertise, people come to you to learn from you and bring you deals that make you money. Yeah. That, that's the, the other part of luck. So. Okay. Okay. So that's all. I mean, I mean, I guess the gist there is um, you got to network and learn so that you're able to capitalize on some of these different lucks from the outside. Yes. And once um, you become a trade expert, people come to you. Yeah. You don't have to find them. Yeah. Um, these lucks are more like preparation. It's like set yourself up for um, the future, set yourself up so that when these things happen, you're able to capitalize on it. But from the outside, it's like, oh, man, this how in the world did they come to you? It's like, dude, I've been putting in, I've been doing this stuff for 15 years to set myself up for this thing. It's not luck. Like, mm -hmm. um, but from the outside, it is, it is that, that luck. That's, that's a, a good way to break that down. Um, I told you I could tangent a lot. So good. I mean, but so far we're two, we're, I think two for two on these tangents. Good. So. I, I, I think it could be relevant for the Worcester yeah. base, you know? Yeah. It's, it's all, um, Hearing things in a different way sometimes, like there's been so many times where I've heard the same thing over and over. And then I hear it from somebody else who's like, oh, okay, this, whatever you guys were saying, I know it's the same thing, but it just didn't make sense now. Now it clicks. The way that like that, the luck and it's, it, 
We're good. Cool. We're good. Cool. We're good. Okay. So, okay. um, I guess in our time frame, I'm in my late twenties now. Mm-hmm. And, um, so it's still like, you know, 10 to 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I was basically doing everything, hustling around. And, um, I wasn't even worried about the money. I was just doing, I loved it. I love business. Uh-huh. I love making deals. I love the art of the deal, like figuring out how to make this work, that work. I love making other people money more than myself. And so I started mentoring people on flipping, on selling real estate. Um, what about, okay, so let's talk about that for a second. What about, have you always enjoyed like teaching people things? Like what about that do you, what gets you going about that? I, that it's tough to exp- explain the intrinsic reward you get for helping someone achieve success it feels so much more gratifying. Right now, I would rather see one of my younger realtors be very successful than just close a couple more deals myself. Uh-huh. Like I've been there, I've done that, I've made that money. That's not exciting anymore. Yeah. And so I, I love action and I like, you know, so like just doing something I've done a million times is boring. Uh-huh. So, I, I, so I'd rather like, it's a challenge for me. You know, so like recently we had a a 19 year old join our company and he's a breath of fresh air for me. He wants to learn everything. Uh And I'm so excited to like work with him, you know? Yeah. And uh, he's he's like, I want to learn this, this, this. That gets me going. I reciprocate the energy from like the people. Uh So when I see someone with this passion for learning, I get so excited and I want to teach them. That helps me, you know, keep my fuel going. I feel like we all have a fuel tank of like energy. Yeah. And we do things to fill it up and it goes down, but how are you replenishing that? Yeah. Well, I think that's actually, that's a good example of like, if, if there's a younger listener that is like kind of lost or looking for those mentors, like the action and the, the enthusiasm for the thing that you're seeking advice for, like there are a lot of people like you that love helping people, but it's not going to be a, like if I come to you and I'm, not super interested and I'm kind of looking for just you to give me all the answers. It's like, well, I mean, I want you to be a little excited about this. Like well, I need to be jazzed. Like but, I want to share it. But this. a lot of times that like low twenties person doesn't know what they're looking for. Mm-hmm. But I think finding mentors or finding people to look up to are huge mm-hmm. because a lot of times you don't know any better. Yeah. There's people that have, you've made mistakes. It's if you can help steer people, like there are a lot of things that you can teach somebody that now again, you already mentioned it, me telling you something and you experiencing it, they're going to be different, but you can maybe avoid some of the roadblocks here yeah. by getting a couple good mentors and being introduced to them early. Um, okay. So let's actually stick on that for a second then. Um, did, when you finally were able to get some of those mentors, um, you said you didn't have them kind of early on. Well, I wouldn't call it a mentor. I knew people who are very successful in different things. Yeah. And I would ask them questions and learn. Okay. So, for example, like in my mid-20s, when you're doing different businesses, you have different LLCs. Mm-hmm. So I would ask an attorney, why Why would I form an LP versus an LLC why, versus a trust and doing all this? So, like, I learned the legal side of, like, corporate formations in real estate. Then also in hand-to-hand, that's taxes. So I'd be filing these business tax returns. And I'm like, all right, why should I tax this as a partnership or go on my Schedule C mm-hmm. versus, you know, forming an LP, setting up as an S-corp? Mm-hmm. So what I did, like that 120 tax return, page tax return you had, mm-hmm. I used to read the whole thing and mark it up, go to go to my CPA and ask questions. You, you know why? Because at the time, I probably wasn't paying as much. Now, some of the CPAs are quite expensive per hour. You uh-huh. pay a couple hundred hours for somebody good. But like back then, I learned as much as I could. So then I'd have to keep paying people for it. 
I didn't do my own taxes. That was a negative opportunity cost. But like I would learn as much as I could uh-huh. so then I could take that knowledge. Understanding the tax benefits of real estate is important. Understanding the liability protection and how the, the legal side of real estate works is important to make better decisions in this side of mm-hmm. it. Okay. Okay. So um, let's get back to the um, – okay. So – you learn, you learn, you're starting to do all of these things on your own. Um, okay. You bounce, there were like, as I was looking through your, um, like really through LinkedIn, like there's a, a bunch of things that seem similar that were either yours or you were a like key piece of a partner i would say my yeah. linkedin page probably has an update in six years yeah so not all that's correct in yeah. the intro yeah but uh so i would always i would took i took business partners on a flipping i took some business partners on and running uh-huh. i did flips myself i did running like investment partners myself so um i think there's times when you have to decide is when does it make sense to take on a partner when doesn't it so like right now, a lot of my real estate partnerships are with some of my realtors or other people, mm-hmm. but everyone has to bring value. Yeah. So one key thing I'll say about when to partner with people is when it's mutually beneficial and there's value created. So if Brad, you and I are going to partner on a real estate deal and you said, Hey, Ryan, I want to learn from you on this real estate deal. All right. You put in the money, you help us find the property. Like, what are you doing? Uh-huh. What value are you bringing <laughs> to the partnership? Why should I need you as a partner? Why is it mutually beneficial? Any partnership that's not mutually beneficial will not last. Yeah. Did you, were there any instances like early on that you had to learn that in a difficult way? In a difficult way? Uh, I would say I'd have partnerships that I realized that um, were not always in my best interest. Maybe they were initially, but they weren't long-term. Okay. Okay. So nothing that was like, um, okay. Okay. So, Okay. Oh, I'll say learning to say no is a big, it took me a while to learn how to say no. Okay. So, um, like for example, you mentioned staging company. Uh So a realtor friend of mine was staging a lot of my flips. She was an excellent stager, good design. So I said, oh, you need a formal form business, all this stuff. Uh So take my knowledge and applying it to that. And I realized how in staging, the margins are incredibly thin. It's not a, it wasn't a good business plan, everything else, but I was like doing it to help her. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, and then I got out of it, you know, within a couple of years and I was just doing it to kind of help on my flips. But in hindsight, what I know now, I never would have partnered on a staging company because the margins weren't there. It wasn't worth the time. I didn't value my opportunity cost as much then. Okay. Okay. Well, I think, uh, yeah. Um, okay. That feels maybe, well, maybe this can help actually. Like early on, you're not you. You kind of feel like you gotta take everything. At least from my experience, like it's a you should if you have the time. Yeah, yeah. It's like I have more time. I'm gonna do all of these things, and then you get to a point where no becomes even like it's a you gotta learn it. <laughs> if you don't, then you become spread really thin, and then nothing works incredibly. And you well. lose efficiency, yeah. or you lose um, going back to the end. We're all here for happiness and freedom. Mm-hmm. You lose behavior utility. So um, the so then I didn't have a value on my time. I can't remember where I read it, but it's something you got to put a dollar value on your time. And so I literally took it to heart. So let's say hypothetically back then I put one hundred fifty dollars an hour on my time. 
I was I going to cut my own grass? No, I'll pay someone fifteen dollars an hour to do it. Yeah. Was I going to shovel my own driveway? No, I'll pay this. I'll do. It. So I start delegating everything and just focusing on the bigger things. But uh-huh. I took that to an extreme, and now I've kind of gone back. Okay. I cut my own grass now. I enjoy it. It's fun. Yeah. You know what I mean? Okay. And but like the there's things you, like if you have an opportunity cost, and so I have a, a set dollar amount that I value my time at. If I'm not getting that return, there has to be other benefits like behavioral utility. So. Um, okay. So let's, when you say behavioral utility, what the, do you, the enjoyment you derive, you derive from doing something. So for example, um, I'll give you a good, so a lot of people like to go to the casino and rivers casino, they get on and they play blackjack and most people, 98% of people lose 99% of people. So you get on and play blackjack. Say you're down there, you have some drinks with friends, you had a good time and you yeah. lost $400, right? Okay. Some people say, oh, why'd you gamble? The, the, your behavioral utility, the value derived from that $400 loss, might that value might be in excess of the $400 you lost. So okay. do you follow what I mean? Yeah. Like, so the cost of doing something, let's say you're going to pay X amount of dollars to ride a roller coaster or something. The enjoyment you get from that exceeds the cost of it. So it's positive BU, yep. behavioral utility. Yep. If you're following. So uh, for example, I could take an afternoon off, go golfing with some friends you know? Yeah. And could I then have maybe done another real estate deal or did something else to make money? Yes. But I, in exchange of that, I'm golfing, doing something, my enjoyment level exceeds that amount of money I would have replaced that time with. Do you, are you actively thinking about these things like all the time? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Cause there are some of those things like the, the casino example is a good example. Basically like that is the approach that I always, if I go to the casino, it's like how much, how much fun am I willing to have tonight? Whatever it is, whatever I'm place, whatever number that that value is, like that's what I got, and I'm. If I lose all of this, I'm expecting to lose but all. You're of having this. fun, exactly. You're having fun with it, exactly. And so for some people, and but in the bonuses, you might win. Yeah, and then it, that's even more fun. Yeah, um, yeah. So that make that makes a lot of sense. So you're like everything. We'll say I'll I'll say it as like a question. Everything that you're doing, you're considering through that lens of does this is this worth it more than my my cost per hour to be doing or in my enjoyment so yes so like, am i getting more than this amount out of this yeah, in my correct so okay. in referencing my late 20s early 30s is different than now when yeah, in my yeah, early yeah. 40s yeah so i have more luxuries now at this point in life to uh-huh. do things i want to to go yeah. three four times to do what i want i travel spend more time with my kids etc mm-hmm. so um well, circling back to BU, you know what I mean? Behavioral utility, mm-hmm. it's, you know, it, it reaches a different level. So like your average person can lose like $200 and they're fine. So for some people, like that might not be a thrill. So some people that need the action need a bet more to yeah. feel more alive. Yeah. Like if I lost $100, I'm not going to care. You know what I mean? At yeah. what point of money does it get your heart pumping and get you excited? Uh-huh. Does that like, so let's say we're going to flip a coin here and we say, let's flip a coin and winner takes a nickel. Who cares, right? <laughs> Yeah. If I say a dollar, if I say twenty dollars, would you flip a nickel for twenty dollars, or flip a quarter for twenty dollars? Flip a quarter for twenty dollars. If I have a twenty in my wallet, yeah, I think I might. Okay. I might. I would. I. I it depends on my mood. Twenty dollars so, for a coin flip is old. Well, it's like eh. it's a neutral value. Uh-huh. It's called neutral expected value. Are yeah. you familiar with expected value? Um, expected outcome. Okay. So um, this is a great lesson on why I never play the lottery. I'll tell okay. you this. So what are the odds of the coin is heads or tails? Should be 50. Correct. Okay. So if we both put $20 in 
okay, and we flip the coin, our expected return is $20, our expected value. Mm -hmm. There's no negative outcome, okay? So, uh, for example, here's how the casino wins. When you're playing a slot machine, slot, mach slot machines are typically expected to pay out between 88 to 94% of what they take in. Let's call it 90% for simple math. So you put a dollar in a slot machine, your expected value is your negative 10%, okay? So that dollar turns to 90 cents. Over thousands of spins, that's how the casino makes money on slots. Uh -huh. That's why there's more slots than anything else in a casino. That's expected value. So like there's certain games like blackjack. If you play something called basic strategy, which tells you what to do independent of the cards that are being dealt in counting cards, independent counting cards, yeah. you're like 48.4%, okay? So meaning you're going to lose 51.6% of the time, negative 3% EV. So for every dollar you bet, you lose three cents. For every $10 you bet, you lose 30 cents, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. So you're doing that. Does okay. your enjoyment of betting that $10 exceed that? So if we both put down $20 here and we flip the coin, does our enjoyment exceed zero net loss or zero net gain? Yes. The behavior utility is worth more than that. If we both put down $20 and the winner got 19, got and it got 39 instead of uh -huh. 20 and a dollar went to whoever the tax man yeah that's probably still worth it because yeah. that one dollar that's lost is 50 50 cents you 50 cents me that 50 cents is worth that enjoyment of that action okay you follow what i mean yep yep okay yeah so okay okay um Okay. I guess you've always you're always a like early on you were a numbers guy so that makes uh, it makes sense that you're thinking about things. How, well, okay, so how late in your um, – at what point did you really start taking that that thinking to kind of most – like most of the things that you were doing? Probably towards like around when I was 30, give or okay. take, late 20s, early 30s. Okay. So I started reading more and more, started learning more and more. Um, there's a popular book back then. I think it was like 15 years ago, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Robert Kiyosaki. Mm -hmm. You know, it talks about how instead of like going out and getting this vehicle, you're spending, I don't know, whatever money to buy this new car. Mm -hmm. Take that money, buy a rental property, use that cash flow to buy the car. When that car's done, you'll have more cash flow to buy another one. The concept of passive residual income. Mm -hmm. So I started, I started knowing from my like kind of late twenties that, you know, one is we're getting back to time. Time, mm -hmm. time is finite. We only have so much time. No matter what we can do, we can't yeah. beat time. Time is the most valuable asset anyone has. Everyone is always trying to buy time. You're paying money to get places faster. Paying money to do this, doing this, trying to save time. Mm -hmm. Okay. So, what's the biggest loss of time for everyone other than sleeping, working? So, how can you make money without losing time? So build, build, inc build passive residual income sources. Yeah. So I started working with that in my late twenties and early thirties. So then I, my social life kind of fell down. I knew that if I worked really hard, I can get really ahead and set myself up later. So I started buying a lot of real estate during the mortgage crisis. Okay. And I started doing flips to get more capital, to do more. And I started developing a real estate team, which are the early foundation of building a real estate brokerage, uh -huh. et cetera, et cetera. So I started doing all these things to build Everything I was doing was geared towards passive residual income. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah, I mean that all that all makes sense, and that's that makes sense that it was around like in that late twenties, early thirties time. Because I feel like once you start to get a little bit of maybe it's that like your head's a little bit above the water, <laughs> um, then you can start thinking about how to set yourself up a little bit better. But earlier on, well, A, you're probably not mature enough in most cases. 
Um, and maybe that's maybe that's actually the more important factor than actually having your head above the water. But um, okay, okay. So um, so eventually we get to this. You're kind of. I mean, you're you're in the real estate industry this whole time, um, and you're so okay. So let's get to River Point, um, unless we're skipping anything that we shouldn't. Um. I'll go through. Uh, I used to do a lot of flips. I stopped um, because the market got way too competitive. Mm-hmm. One of the worst things for that was HGTV. Yeah. They made it cool. They made it fun. Uh-huh. And so a story I've told a bunch of times was there was an older couple doing a flip near my office in Avalon, and they were trying to sell it themselves. So actually I go down to talk to them and everything else, sell their house, make a few bucks, et cetera. Uh-huh. And I'm just curious because I saw them doing work on the house. So they were laughing, talking about the foot. They could, they, they wouldn't shut up. They kept talking about how much fun they had, how much they enjoyed it. But they said, well, we had to sell it ourselves because we we're so over budget. Uh-huh. We fired two contractors, run our third contractor. We had all these problems. You're talking about all this, laughing and smiling about it. This couple probably late 50s, <laughs> early 60s. And what I realized was they don't give a fuck if they make a profit or not. They are doing this for enjoyment. Uh-huh. So I'm competing against competition that doesn't care if they make a profit margin. How can you do that? You can't. Yeah. <laughs> so I knew the flip market was getting so saturated, so I got out of it. So then what I started doing was helping <laughs> finance people's flips, helping them sell it, helping them analyze their deals, making money ancillary ways off of that rather than doing it. And the other thing I don't like about flips is their active income. So for younger entrepreneurial people, they're good because they can generate quick capital. Uh-huh. You know, and one reason I love real estate and I got into that was because you make as much as you earn. There, there, it's not like you get a salary, you have to wait to get a 5% raise. Yeah. The harder you work, the more money you make. Yeah. There's no limit. Yeah. So, but on flips, you're losing time. Okay. You're losing time. Whereas if I buy, if I do a flip, let's say my average flip makes $40,000. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's 40,000 before taxes. Man, you might lose 30% of that to taxes. Mm-hmm. So you might make 28, okay? And all the time invest in doing that, and you have some risk too if it doesn't work out. Yeah. If I buy a rental property and that rental property might make me four thousand a year, that's a lot less than that 40 on the flip, right? Yeah. That four thousand is in perpetuity. And the thing people don't understand about real estate is that rental property that might only cash flow four thousand. I probably have a 15-year mortgage on that. It might my principal pay down might be eight, ten thousand a year. My appreciation on average year might be another eight, ten thousand during recently more. So I might have fifteen, twenty thousand non-realized gain on that, including cash flow. You know, and then you then you get that and you start multiplying those, and that's when you really start building wealth in real estate. Okay. Okay. Um that's all sorry if I'm too trade heavy there, but no, 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 that's all, um, thinking long term. Yeah. Yeah. That is, that is the key there. Um, here's a good uh, saying. Here's a good saying for the listeners. What I, I learned this while ago and I preach this to a lot of the people I work with make decisions based on what the 10 year old version of you, the 10 years older. So you're roughly 30, right? <laughs> yep. What, like exactly. when you're thinking about a different business decision, what would the four year old Brad tell you to do? Would the four-year-old Brad be proud of you if you did this? Think about it through that lens. Or even say like, all right, if fifth-year-old me is looking back, would he want me to do this, this, or this? Do what the fifth-year-old you would want you to do rather than what the third-year-old hmm. wants to do. You might want to go out and party with your friends instead of doing this or this. Mm-hmm. You might want to do what's easier instead of what's harder. Yeah. Think about what's best long-term. Too many people make decisions out of short-term thinking. Yeah, well, again, that's another one of those like the way – okay. There's a problem 
or like a challenge, I can't be the only one that has this, but like thinking about 10 years in the future or 20 years in the future doesn't make a lot of sense. Like there's a block in my head, but thinking about if I would be happy with that decision in 10 years, that makes a lot more Like that feels like it makes that make a lot more, like it actually makes sense in my head. Um, there's this all like the 10 years in the future thing is like, I have no idea. I don't know what the hell, like I have no idea yeah. what the hell that looks like. I, my, I can't think about that. You could be that. Joe Rogan by then. Yeah. It's like, probably not, but like maybe, <laughs> but like it, it just doesn't make any sense, but like, okay. Simplifying it to, is this something that in 10, it, that the 40 year old or the 50 year old would be happy with? Like, is this a good decision to that person? Yeah. It's like, okay, that it, makes a lot more sense. I, I think there's a lot of ways you can train yourself to think to make better yeah. decision making. Yeah. And um, one thing I read recently is, um, would your kids be proud of the decisions you're making or the things you're doing? So are you doing things that your kids would be proud of? Okay. So what I want my, I have a two and a four year old at home. Uh-huh. What I want them to be proud of what I'm doing? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And when you have kids, it kind of changes your outlook on life. It really does. Yeah. Two key things that were big motivators for me, getting married and having kids are more motivators because it's not just you. Yeah. You know, like I could lose everything, go bankrupt. I don't care. I'll make it back again. Yeah. Okay. But like, do I want to put my wife or kids through that? Absolutely not. So I've become more conservative and cautious and more calculated on decisions since I have a family. When, okay. So before that, okay. So at what point, when, how old were you when you got married? 28, 28, okay. 29. So back then, for an example, I probably had three and a half million borrowed privately to do flips and investing with. <laughs> I know we're near that amount of money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was just borrowing. And <laughs> if things went bad, I could have, you know what I mean? Yeah. But I, I bet on myself uh-huh. and I had a lot of people that were smart that bet on me that was mutually beneficial. They lend me money. I pay them higher interest. Yeah. So I had maybe six, seven people that were funding deals that I was doing. Yeah. But like, yeah, if things went really bad, I probably would have bankrupt. But I was willing to gamble and take that chance. It was yeah. a calculated risk. Mm-hmm. When you don't have anything, it's easier to gamble and to start over. Once you already accumulated assets or businesses or wealth or family, mm-hmm. you don't want to risk it anymore. Yeah. So you start making different decisions. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, you're speaking a lot of things that make a lot of sense. Sorry. <laughs> that's good. Um, that's what we're here for. Um, okay. So where are we at at this point? Um, um, okay, so I'm starting to focus more and more on past residual income. Yep. yep. Um, yeah, back from another tangent. Um, <laughs> so early 30s, I started my own real estate team, started growing that. Uh-huh. Um, I learned how to make other realtors money. Yeah. Okay. And so, but they're on your team at another brokerage. And uh, one one thing that I learned right away is I brought over a successful realtor from a big bigger name brokerage uh, who was middling. And then they did really well for me for a year, made a lot of money, and then they left because they didn't want to be on a team. They wanted to be their own realtor. And I'm thinking, well, how can that not happen mm-hmm. if I have a brokerage? I always knew I was going to end up that way. Mm-hmm. So I started a real estate brokerage. So that way there's people to grow. So not just realtors on my team, a realtor team, but now I could take somebody that was on a realtor team to make them their own realtor, then make them have their own realtor team. And then I could even have them grow to make, have their own office and franchise and et cetera. Yeah. So I could have unlimited growth for that person rather than cap where they're going to grow. Yeah. So 
Um, but I did that. And then along the same times when I started that I was doing a lot of property management. So when I started accumulating lots of units to rent and manage, okay, I needed a system to do that to, cause I didn't want to do the time. It, I had negative opportunity cost of my time. Uh-huh. So I started a property management company. So like right now, two of our core businesses are real estate brokerage and a property management company. So now the property management company manages, you know, a lot of my real estate portfolios and rentals along with clients. Cause I already had to manage my own. I could manage other people's in the same economies of scale of my own uh-huh. very effectively. And I can give them the big picture analysis and advice. So now my own rentals are getting managed at cost from the company that I own. Okay. Um, yeah, you, <laughs> okay. That's a, um, I feel like we're getting like, like, there's a lot here that I want to try to unpack because they're like, I think what I keep coming back to is this, this, um, like internally is, is this like ability or this thing that you do of setting yourself up really well for the future. Um, like all of these different opportunities that you've had, you're now using all of that learning and you've created this thing where you're kind of like you've created this kind of perfect situation where you're, you've got this unlimited growth. You've got, you're kind of in all of the, all of the areas of at least to my, I don't know a lot about real estate, but like you kind of have your hands in all of the, in all of the pots of real estate through these two organizations. And it, it like it creates synergies. Yeah. So like for example, if you're gonna be in real estate, you know, I mean, if you own real estate, you need a property management company. Mm-hmm. It also helps if you're the agent and brokerage selling it. Yeah. It also helps if you own your own mini construction company. Uh-huh. And it helps if you have other partnerships and things like that. Yeah. There's synergies where they all work together in economies of scale, which you benefit of all the little different things in there. Mm-hmm. So but that's part of like planning. What I'll say is one of the things I think get in the way of people is they don't understand why they're always making the decisions and they think sometimes emotionally. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been really big on this is one thing is you can't control external factors. You can't control the things that happen to you. All you can do is control how they react. Mm-hmm. So the other day I'm taking my four and a half year old son. Uh, so I have some investment properties out in seven Springs. We do Airbnb rentals out there. I do that cause it's fun. Mm-hmm. You know, it's probably riskier and less returns than what I, what I do in other things. Uh-huh. I just enjoy it. And that's why I love doing it. So my son and I are driving out. We're driving through Pittsburgh. All of a sudden, my son's in the back right of my car. Someone merges into me, sm- hits my car. Uh, and I, I turn out and, and they speed off, get off on an exit. Okay. How many people would be MFing them, honking the horn, uh-huh. chasing after them? I mean, my son was in the car, but like my first reaction is what's the point? What is the, if what what am I going to do? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Nothing good yeah. comes out of road <laughs> yeah. rage. Yeah. And in general, nothing good comes out of anger. So when you really think about it, people get angry and upset all the time. What positive comes out of that? Uh, None. Yeah. So what's the point of getting upset? The So I'm going to let someone else's actions that I had no control over ruin my mood, ruin my day, change what I'm doing. You have to eliminate that from your thinking. Did you have any, okay, have you always been like that? No. Uh, okay. So part of the perpetual learning 
which is complete opposite from when I was actually in school, uh-huh. is I learn more and more every year now than I did even before. Mm-hmm. So you just keep learning, keep learning. The more you understand, becoming more self-aware, understanding why I think, why I do things, how I'm looking at it, understanding my blind spots, um, just learning more about everything, mm-hmm. especially the things that interest you and you're curious about, you, you, you're you enabled to make better decisions. Yeah. A big part of that too, and probably a lot of your audience knows this, is it's how you who you surround yourself with. Who are you talking to? Who are you communicating with? Mm-hmm. You know, you can't communicate with your average nine to five ordinary people and be thinking creatively and think like that. Yep. You have to surround yourself with very positive and productive and it's say intelligent people mm-hmm. helps you think more that way. Yeah, I, that's a um, the anger. Th- that's a that's a funny one. Like the that the road right. That's such a good example of that where it's um, I don't know. I, like you. It's so easy for people to get wrapped up in that emotional, in the emotional decisions, which it's difficult to, to remove yourself from that. Like it's such a big part of. What's an analogy for business? Are you doing this because of how it looks on social media, because on how you want people to perceive you, you Mm -hmm. care what other people think. The older you get, the less and less you care what other people think. Yeah. But like, and, or or why are you really doing it? You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And I mean, that goes back to that, that self-awareness piece that you brought up at the beginning of like really spending the time to, um, to understand what is important to you. What are those things that like the, if, if these, if these guiding principles are this, um, the freedom and, um, happiness. the freedom and the happiness, it's like, if those are the guiding principles here and like, that's what my decision-making is based off of. How's that going to get, where's that okay. going to get to me? Yeah. If, if you want to be a point in your life, Brad, mm-hmm. where 10, 15 years, you can do whatever you want to do, mm-hmm. whatever the hell you want to do. If you want to leave and go to Thailand for four months, do it. If you want to do whatever you want, that's like, if you want to get to that point. How are you going to get there? How are yeah. you going to plan to do that? Yeah. And literally that is, well, in a, in a weird way, that is tomorrow's episode. Um, that's funny. <laughs> that's, it's funny that that's coming up now. Cause it, it but this gives a, a, another bit of examples and like really drives that point home of the, the clarity of those things. And that can evolve, like that can adapt. I'm sure your, your versions of freedom and, and happiness have probably changed a little bit as you've, um, as you've gotten older, but like knowing roughly what you're looking for, like that is pretty huge like it is very difficult to get somewhere if you don't know where that thing is sometimes you don't know where you're going yeah. you just know like you're gonna make it happen yeah i always like to say very productive people are doers mm-hmm. they just figure it out mm-hmm. they make it happen they do it um i i hear all the time in real estate people like oh i'm gonna be i want to be a really good realtor i want to be a really good investor 90 plus percent of the people don't do it most people always want to hope and want to do it mm-hmm. no one wants to put in the effort yeah no, no one wants to put in the effort to actually do it yeah. Um, yeah. So those are okay. So I feel like we've covered. Um, we are. We're still good on time. Um, okay. So let's talk about. So we we've gotten to this point where you've you've kind of gotten your hands in in all of these pots of real estate. Um, I assume there are still things that that come about that are tripping you up along the way. Like, you don't know everything. Definitely. There's um, 
Sometimes it could be different realtors, problems with realtors, problems with employees, problems with interest rates going higher, increase uh-huh. my debt service, you know, expenses on properties. Uh-huh. There's external factors all the time. But yes, things are always going to do, uh-huh. but it's how you react and what do you do? All right, so interest rates are higher. How am I going to pivot off this? What am I going to do here or there? Here's option A, B, and C. What are the pros and cons of this? How's it look now? How's it look five years from now? Mm-hmm. That can all be factored into a decision. Sometimes we might not like doing decision A, B, or C, but who cares if we like it or not? That's our decisions. Yeah. What's the best one to pick? So when you're going through some of these, let's um, when you're, you're when you're working through all of the any of these decisions, like do you have stats are obviously a big thing to numbers like those Probability, are important to you. Yeah. yeah. How do you have a a process that you work through through all of your like big decisions like? Is there is there a process that you work through specifically, or um, at this point you've got enough experience that I'm sure a lot of it you can kind of to some degrees, feel. Yeah. to some degrees. And sometimes right now, what really moves me is like, do I get excited about it? Okay. okay. Do like I'm starting to tinker with more and more Airbnb short term rental investing. Uh-huh. I get excited about it. Okay. So uh, recently, I'm doing like I I really haven't done flips while partnering with people. I get excited about helping like this person do their first flip. That's more exciting to me than doing my 120th flip. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so like stuff like that, I get more excited about helping someone else start real estate investing on uh-huh. their first, second property, partnering with them than doing like whatever number of deal I'm doing. So do you get excited about it? But also like you have to want to do it. You have to also say no or you just won't be happy. Yeah. Like so, but I also really, truly believe in like – you can only do so much. You only have that. I referenced before. You have this fuel tank of energy, mm-hmm. knowing what fills you up and what gets you going. So recently, a big thing for me is I start going to a personal trainer two mornings a week, and I go in from six fifteen to like seven fifteen, work out, do all this stuff. That and then I start working out other days. That gets my engine going. Uh-huh. I get excited. Then I started consuming. I follow some people on Twitter. I really enjoy to have thoughtful, mind-provoking things. Uh-huh. I listen to some podcasts that are thoughtful and mind-provoking, and I do that. It gets me excited. I start thinking about business. I like hearing. I like talking to other entrepreneurs, other successful people about what they're doing, and that motivates you. and And then that gets you going. And like when I'm around a lot of negativity, it just brings me down. So I I like to cut it out. I yeah. hate negativity. Huh. Okay. Um, okay. I feel like, I don't know how, I don't know how we've done this, but I feel like we've covered a ton in a, a length of time that is shorter than normal. It's still, we've been on, I mean, this is an hour and 20 in, but I feel like we've covered a lot of like pretty important things. Um, is there anything that I've missed that is, that you think is worth covering. I've, I've, I mean, the couple tangents that we've gone off on are like good. Th- they, I feel like there's a lot of information here that is solid learning for somebody who's starting a business or is early on in business. Um, is there anything that we haven't talked about that we haven't gotten to yet? Um, is there anything like... What, uh, uh, yeah, go ahead. I, I would almost say, like, is there anything that you think I could expand on for at different parts of entrepreneurs' careers or things like that? Or is there 
I think there, I'll say there, there's a couple phases. So there's uh-huh. the hungry phase. Mm-hmm. You just want to make money. When you're an initial entrepreneur or initial business person, you're yeah. trying to get ahead, you're trying to make money, you might have passion for what you're doing too. Yeah. Okay. Then once you actually get that money in your pocket, get a little more comfortable and start spending it. Do you get complacent or do you keep going? Okay. So I always like to say, don't work for the money. If and, and it's hard for people to visualize that, but if you don't really work for money, if you do things you like or do things you enjoy or you do it for like, I want to grow my real estate brokerage because I'm competitive. Yeah. Not because I want to make more money. I want to do this because I, like, so make it's why you're making those decisions. But like once that entrepreneur starts to get a little bit ahead, okay, don't just get comfortable. When you get complacent, you go down. Uh-huh. You don't get better. Yeah. So you always have to, because things are changing faster and faster now. You brought up ChatGPT or AI is changing. Mm-hmm. So I'm already reading about how AI is going to affect some of the industries I'm in. Mm-hmm. How's that going to affect a lot of different things? You know? So I, I think it's important to, to kind of keep up. Yeah. Um, something I do is I'll have five or six different news pieces I read every morning. Okay. Not just real estate, but in general, to stay informed. Yeah. Know what's going on, whether it's like politically, whether it's going on financially, economically. You know what I mean? You got you have to be informed, you know, to really understand how these external factors could trickle down and affect you to some degree. Yeah. Um, yeah, and the doing things like there's always a piece okay, so there's this like um there I I think it's going away a little bit now, but like this idea of just doing the things that you're passionate about, which is great in some cases. That's a later career for what yeah. yeah. You don't do that when you're you on the way up. Yeah. Yes. And then you you hit diminishing marginal utility. Yeah. So that means for every dollar you earn is less valuable than the previous dollar. I think it was an economist said that the most humans' basic needs, this was like a year or two ago, were met at sixty, sixty-five thousand a year. Mm-hmm. You know, shelter, food, housing, et cetera, all that stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. And then as you start to make more money, so talk to, you know, some billionaire. Like if he makes an extra million a year, it doesn't change anything. Yeah. Is it worth him working X more hours to make that? No. So that's what it gets back to the happiness and freedom mm-hmm. over money. You know, so if I if I want to work every Sunday, I could, but I'd rather spend Sunday with my family. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But like, and like you've said, like early on, there's going to, at some point, the effort has to be put in. That might, you might start later and that might happen later, but at some point, there's going to have to be some type of sack. Like you spent a lot of time early on gaining a lot of knowledge so that you could get to the point now where it's like, eh, I'd rather take Sunday off, but Maybe early on, it's like, well, maybe I couldn't take Sunday off. Maybe you could, but there, there are, um, it's all, we're all just pulling a bunch of levers here. Like there's, things are going to level off where they level off. And there, if you, if all of the levers are on one side, there's going to be, there's some takeaways. There's, there's some give and take here. Um, okay. Okay. Um, I don't know if I have anything else right now. Um, we've covered a lot of the like high level ways to think about, I, I think we've covered a lot of very important information here. Um, whether it felt like it or not to you, I can tell you that I feel like we've covered some things that at least for me opened a couple, a, a couple sealed doors that, um, that I know will be helpful to, they'll be helpful to somebody. Um, okay. Riverpoint Realty, 
Um, I'll have all the links down below, but anywhere that we can find you in particular. Sure. Or So uh, we have our own podcast. It's called Coffees for Closers. Mm-hmm. It's a take on an old sales movie for you know, some of the older listeners there. But uh, so it's uh, our marketing director, Andrea Henderson, Bob Steinstraw, and myself. Uh, a lot of it's focused on real estate. We talk about you know selling real estate. We talk about investing in real estate. A lot of it's focused on motivation. Uh, like a recent episode I really liked, we talked about being productive rather than busy. Too many people are busy, mm-hmm. too busy being busy rather than actually looking at your efficiency and your production. So we go over some theories like that. Uh, we're still in the early stages of it. And we're mm-hmm. finding our podcast, but it's called Coffees for Closers. Um, you know, and so give it a listen. Yeah, I'll link that down below. Um, that'll be their website for Riverpoint Realty. That'll be down below. Um, anything else that we should know about um, that you guys have coming up or any anything like that? Um, we're always willing to take on new mentees, people to partner with. We have three interns working for us this summer. Nice. Um, we love... How big of a, How big is your team right now? Um, direct and indirect, maybe, I don't know, um, 40 to 50 something. I don't I don't Damn, count. Okay. But like, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. But a lot of those are realtors, et cetera. I think we have around close to 30 realtors. We have different staff. We have... I think 11 different businesses. So we have a lot of different things we're doing. <laughs> yeah, you know what yeah, I mean? Not yeah. just like what we went over here. Yeah. So, yeah. but uh, it's, it's, it's a growth in progress, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But, um, so, um, but you have to want to do it. Yeah. You, you have to get excited. Like, like I don't, there's no reason for me to like get excited out of, to get out of bed, but I, I love it. Yeah. Like I go to bed thinking about business and work and I wake up thinking about <laughs> business and work. You almost have to be that right mindset uh-huh. and you have to have that passion. Cause if not, you're not going to, do do all the things it takes to get there. No, there's there's too many things that have to be done for you to not like it and still do all the things, um, or not be passionate about the whole the whole process and to do all of the things that have to be done for you to get to the point that you're at. My last takeaway: PMA, positive mental attitude. The be positive no matter what it is. Okay, positive thinking, positive attitude is. I can't tell you how valuable that's been for me. Okay, um, where. Okay, I, we already we actually covered that. Um, at what point that that became like a thing for you? Um, okay, all of those will be linked down below. Um, thank you for being on. This was good. I know this is going to be helpful for somebody in some industry. There, there's a lot of valuable um, valuable info here. Um, thank you for listening. Thanks for watching. Um, if you have any suggestions for future guests, if you uh, if you need any assistance, links are all down below, emails down below. Um, thank you for coming on. See you next week. Thanks, Bradley. Thanks for listening, watching, wherever you're consuming this. I'm your host, Bradley Martin, and this is Clearing the Way, a resource for small business owners.